And I think traditional hub and spoke delivery carriers, they are built for the efficiency, but they lack the speed and flexibility to respond to like changing conditions of a volatile world of omnichannel retail, which just got turned on its head when the pandemic hit. So by tapping into the people already on the road, you wind up getting just a more sustainable, scalable, and variable cost delivery force that can handle flexing pressures. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hey everyone, Alicia here. And we've got another last mile and fulfillment themed podcast for you today. It, it has been such a huge topic for the industry and, and frankly, such an inspiring one because I know just based on our experiences covering the fulfillment space. It has largely been considered just the nuts and bolts of retail, not largely covered, not a lot of glitz, that's for sure. Um, And we're really seeing it come to the forefront as a way for brands to better serve customers. So was thrilled to sit down recently with Mark Gorlin, who is the founder of Rody, And they're a part of this crowdsourced delivery movement. And he has so many great perspectives of how retailers should be looking at the delivery experience, how this notion of optionality will impact customer behaviors and ultimately retailer strategies, and has had a lot of great conversations with brands and retailers of all sizes around how they will have to adapt in light of new realities. So Mark is a seasoned entrepreneur and company co-founder, knows a lot about business and, and frankly now a lot about retail. So get ready for some some great takeaways. Mark, thanks so much uh, for taking the time out. Your company sounds fascinating. A lot of trends to talk about. So really excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So to kick off the conversation, let's start at the beginning. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and uh, most of all, a little bit about Rody? Sure. So I'm a, I'm a I guess a serial entrepreneur, as you would say, this is my fifth company. So I'm either getting good at these or I can't keep a job, one of the two. <laughs> and and Rody is a crowdsource on-demand delivery service. It's taking you and me and all the people out in the world and becoming delivery drivers. So we work with consumers and small businesses and national companies in virtually any industry that you could think of. There's over 150,000 drivers across the country. We've been in more than 13,000 cities and towns and our footprint covers nearly 90% of the U.S. It's one of the largest same-day footprints in the nation, even bigger than Amazon Prime now. And basically, it works by connecting people or businesses with stuff to send with people who are already heading in the right direction. That's why we call it the -the on-the-way model. And it's based on the fact like you, me, and 250 million other passenger vehicles hit the road every day with more than 4 billion cubic feet of excess capacity. And I mean, it's just wasted space. We're driving to work, school, vacation, or just running errands. And Rody puts that wasted space to use. The company was built upon the idea, like what would happen if we could utilize some of that space? And that's how we came up with the idea, as well as a relatively entertaining story from when I was in Florida and had some broken tile I needed to get from point A to point B. And that's what made me think of the idea. Yeah, I love it. So how does this compare to the players in 
the gig economy, right? Like looking at it through the lens of the Instacarts, the Ubers, I mean, obviously playing in different industries, but I'm fascinated to learn more about how you get people involved in roadies missions and ultimately get them to play a role in this delivery process so you can kind of maximize that capacity that you're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, the nature of roadies on the way miles is they're regular folks. So they might be customers shopping in a store or employees coming to or leaving from work. You know, the woman buying a Starbucks down the street or the guy at the Jiffy Loop, just regular folks. And they're looking to make a few bucks without running errands or they have free time literally for going where they were going anyway. You know, you're leaving the Home Depot and you're heading home and somebody needs a drill three houses over and you get paid basically to go home. We do have drivers that are very episodic and some that create a side hustle. So, but it's different than, I guess, more the Uber and Lyft drivers in a, in a few ways. I mean, a lot of folks on those platforms are really looking at replacing or probably getting a lot of their income from those platforms. We are a side hustle. We supplement that regular income. We, we support them with flexibility, transparency, and information to know like what deliveries they're going to do so they can choose their time wisely. So on other platforms, think about it. If you're in an Uber and you're and I'm your driver, I'm just going to find out that that I'm going to be winding up taking Alicia to this place. And when you get in the car, that's where I have to take you. There's no real choice in the matter. With Roadie, you know, you're going to see, okay, it is a drill. It's coming from this Home Depot. It needs to go to this location. It needs to be there by this time. And here's what you're going to get paid. So there's a lot of transparency that let drivers really pick what is working for them and allows it to be more of an on-the-way model than just a crowdsource model, but where you're kind of told what to do all the time. Interesting. So th- there's a lot more data at the hands of the people doing the driving. It's not just order taking, which which I find fascinating. So I'm curious, just given the depth of this experience, the flexibility, the ability to get more coverage. I mean, that's that's a lot of value for brands and retailers, right? And and you, you shared earlier what, what that spread looks like from a customer base perspective. I'm, I'm curious what kind of shift you've seen in business interest, right? Like, did it largely start with smaller companies and now it's spanning into big ones? Uh, mainly, I guess I'm trying to understand the shift in priority among brands, like looking at last mile, right? Because I feel like over the past few months, especially that this topic has really come to the forefront. But I mean, I'm curious to, to hear how the conversations with your prospects, your customers have changed, like the companies involved there. Sure. So sort of, it seems like there's two questions in there, sort of who are we working with from a retail perspective? And then how has what's happened around COVID changed, enhanced, you know, and varied the conversations from what mm-hmm. they were? Yep. So the, the customer mix for us is a blend of large enterprises like Home Depot, Walmart, Tractor Supply, Michaels, and SMBs. So they might be neighborhood markets, bakeries, florists, pharmacies. And these customers are looking to figure out what the next generation of customer experience is for them. Everybody is seeing what Amazon has done, where you can get your stuff in, you know, in two weeks, two hours, two days. And you have that optionality. There's no reason that other big enterprises or smaller SMB should be able to have the same level of service for their, their end customers. So it might be auto parts from a repair shop. It might be groceries from a small grocer to a family of four. I mean, we're trying to help everybody within these segments create that. As far as what sort of happened 
in the past. I mean, delivery has been off the chain <laughs> since uh, since COVID started. And it's because, I mean, for once, you don't even have to tell people about the capability. They can't go out. So they, if they can't come to the store, you need to figure out very quickly how to bring the store to the customer. Now, a little bit easier for the folks that have been ahead of this conversation and had already set up some sort of buy online pickup in store, buy online deliver from store. For those retailers, we saw just a huge expansion of geographies and of size sets that we might be taking out. So you look at a Home Depot where we were in 700-ish stores and we're now in double that. And that was in, in a matter of weeks. Tractor Supply Company, which focuses you know, on farm and feed and so forth for folks in pretty rural communities around the country. But there's still people going here and there in those communities. We were in around 400 stores prior to COVID, and they made the decision they wanted to launch their entire network of stores. So 1,863 stores are the largest retailer that has uh, same-day delivery in the country at every single one of their stores. They did not cherry pick. So we've just seen a huge growth in demand. Now, people who did not have this set up are either still sort of fumbling with their hands or there's those that moved really quickly. You look somebody like Michael's that got out there and within one week we had them set up doing same day deliveries uh, on the platform, which is in dealing with large organizations incredibly fast. It's really removed a lot. Everything that's gone on has really forced the issue and removed a lot of the bureaucratic red tape that often might take months, if not years to get decisions made to implement something so important. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask like how those, those success stories, those, those rapid rollouts, I mean, one week rollout is, is pretty incredible for a brand of Michael's stature and the heritage. And like you said, the, the red tape there, which is, is an ongoing challenge that, that we've been covering on retail touch points, I think for years now. I'm curious to hear how these success stories, these applications, you know, may lead to a shift in the types of conversations you have or maybe having already with retailers moving forward, like because you know that this is possible. I mean, does that kind of empower you to have these more thoughtful and I guess pointed conversations with retailers around what they should or, or should not be doing as far as, you know, their, their fulfillment experience goes? Yeah, I mean, for those that didn't have it in place, they are rushing to get it in place. Because it's kind of like if you didn't have it up front, fine. Nobody knew this was coming. But if it comes a second time, shame on you. You should have known after what we have just gone through that you need to have this in place. I mean, it's clear to see what long-term effects are going to be. But it, I mean, it's difficult to see what the long-term effects are going to be. But the short-term effects are pretty clear. You know, you've got stress and disruption and lost revenue. Take an auto parts supplier. You can't get a part to a shop quickly. It takes longer for that shop to turn around and repair it and get it back to its owner. The ripple effects can be felt from points of delay all the way to end customers. That happens whether you're sending out a drill or anything else. So if you can get stuff out of the stores, especially now where a lot of stores are limiting the number of people coming in, a lot of the retailers now want to reduce footsteps to be able to get more folks in. Now, opportunities are we do have Folks are coming to us in a more consultative fashion. Like, how should we roll this out? What time should same day cutoffs be? What size categories? What is the best way to roll out this product? Is it to, you know, get it to perfection and get it out? Or should we start with something scrappy and small, which is always the right answer. I mean, the enemy of perfect is done. <laughs> so, and what they're learning about crowdsource, which everybody was sort of afraid of, like some rando is going to show up and 
grab my product <laughs> and take it to my customer. I mean, like, right. you know, that, that was that was a hard sell a little while ago. But now they're seeing a distributed workforce can flex up and down based on demand. I mean, and you can see that. I mean, you've never seen it like you had during uh, COVID. I mean, there's people that might have sent us seven or 800 gigs a day that all of a sudden we're sending us 18,000. I mean, that is not something even in business school that you can write a business case around. And I think traditional hub and spoke delivery carriers, they are built for the efficiency, but they lack the speed and flexibility to respond to like changing conditions of a volatile world of omni-channel retail, which just got turned on its head when the pandemic hit. So by tapping into the people already on the road, you wind up getting just a more sustainable, scalable, and variable cost delivery force that can handle flexing pressures that show up. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think the current situation really put a spotlight on the retailers that were kind of lacking these alternative fulfillment offerings, right? Really calling out this this gaping hole, so to speak, in their in their strategy. But I, I also feel like there were retailers that were doing, you know, flexible fulfillment, omni fulfillment, trying more delivery speeds, you know, really trying to broaden out what their fulfillment strategy looked like. But still there were pitfalls, right? Or shortcomings, you know, they were trying to check the boxes, but there were still flaws in the experience. So I have to ask you, because you've had so many conversations with brands and retailers of all sizes, I mean, where do you think most of the challenges fell? Like, was it largely that just didn't have the number of options? Was it going back to that speed and, and flexibility point that you just shared? I guess I'm trying to get a feel for like what what the higher level pain points were or have been for retailers in terms of their fulfillment and, and last mile experience. And, and I mean, if those have changed now in light of everything that's going on, please, please feel free to say so. I think really my goal is to call out like what, where are the areas of opportunity? Where are the areas of improvement that we need to zero in on and, and talk through a bit more? Absolutely. I mean, well, it's a, it's a couple things. So internally for the retailers, I mean, knowing where your inventory is, is important. If you're just fulfilling everybody that's in the town you're in, Atlanta for me, then you have a certain level of inventory you have. If you start doing ship from store from that store, if you also start having buy online pickup from store, and then you start doing delivery, you're serving a lot more people out of that store and needing the inventory than you would before. So trying to get your inventory management up to speed where it can keep up with those high replenishment items that need to go out. And then making sure like operationally, are you set up? How long does it take for you to pick an item? I mean, those are things that I think got better over COVID when people knew they needed to get better at it, but they also didn't have as many people in stores to deal with to make it work. The thing I've seen, and it's going to sound so simple, Alicia, to get this up and running from a consumer perspective is to tell them about it and to tell them about it in a couple ways. And this is what has been really hard for folks to get around is like, you need to send out the emails. You need to put it on your website front and center. You need to make sure it is in the shopping cart. You've got cards in the store to tell people about. Because the thing is, think about it. If you go to a website and you want to buy something and you need it delivered same day, if you don't see that a same day delivery option is there until you get to the basket, you'd have already left. You would go get your drill at Amazon or somewhere else where you know you can get it within that same day. If you didn't know the capability exists, you are not going to get all the way through the process 
and be able to get the item because you're already gone. You don't even think it exists there. So highlighting that on the front of consumer retail sites, I cannot tell you how important that is and and for some reason how difficult it is sometimes to get done because you're just, I mean, a lot of these retailers are having to do a wholesale change of their back end. They never thought of all of their stores as being mini fulfillment centers. But when they get around to that and they think about it that way, that is your big advantage over the Amazons of the world. You've got a ground game that they can't beat if you've got stores in all these locations so close to your customers. You've got the product already next to them. Take advantage of that opportunity to beat Amazon in its own game. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, what, what the customer experience is. Obviously, getting that product as quickly as you want is a huge benefit. But one of the things that, that really stands out from a pain point perspective, you know, based on our research is retailers' ability to keep customers in the know around where a product is, the progress for getting that item fulfilled, you know, when it's anticipated, expected to arrive at their doorstep, or if it's available in store, like there's just a communication gap there. So how does Rody try to address that or at least try to, you know, bridge that communication gap, give customers the context, as well as the people fulfilling the order, right? I mean, it's all data that needs to be shared across. So, I mean, what do you guys see from that perspective and how do you guys try to navigate that to give customers a better experience? Uh, You try to give them transparency and you're absolutely right. In a lot of retail situations, even when you're buying really high-end stuff, the communication on when it's going to get there and how long it takes is poor. It's not very good. Take, for example, you know, you buy some you go somewhere and you buy some big kitchen remodel or whatever, you're hardly communicated with. You need to know when everything's going to come in. You don't know. But take another example. Take Domino's Pizza. You order your pizza and the kitchen remodel, say, is $15,000. you are ordering a Domino's Pizza for $15. They're so advanced technologically, you know when the guy's putting the pepperoni on it. You know when it's going into the oven, when it's come out and being checked. And when your driver, whose name they will provide you, is on his way to your house to deliver you this delicious pizza that you've literally played a part in its entire journey for him. So everything you can do to provide updates during that journey is better for your end customers. And it's also better for you as a retailer because you're not getting a bunch of inbound calls that you could have otherwise preemptively handled. So with Rody's platform, when deliveries go out from retailers that want it or don't have their own system, they'll get a text or an email where they can click on it and they can literally watch their driver go down the street all the way to their house, know where they are, how long it's going to take them to get there on every gig. So it answers the big question that most people have when they call into a customer service line costing you more money, which is, where's my stuff? When's it going to be here? I mean, that's 80%, 90% of the calls. And you can sort of remove those by just preemptively giving them the information that they want. Excellent. And then my next question around the customer side is obviously a value driver or an increasingly critical value driver for for shoppers is sustainability. I mean, I feel like in this this current time, sometimes ease and speed, you know, trumps that that sustainable component. But I I do think it, it is becoming a more critical part of the conversation because I feel like now shoppers are almost thinking a bit more critically around 
okay, what are the implications of me asking for same day or next day delivery? Who has to fulfill the order? You know, how much energy is being spent to, to get this product to my doorstep? Is it needed enough for me to put those resources towards that? You know, it may not be the majority of consumers, but I think I think it's starting to bubble up more. So would love your take around retailers' priorities around sustainability. Are those kind of taking a back seat? Has that become kind of a added perk, but not necessarily the primary reason for for retailers to embrace on the way delivery? I mean, just trying to get a feel for how retailers are prioritizing the sustainable component of your business, if at all. It doesn't come up as much as you might think it would, but it does probably come up, I would say, 15% of the time. There are those retailers that ask about it in sort of the early calls. And, you know, you have to dig through and see whether it's just a box being checked or not. But we love the conversation because in essence, what Rody does, if you're going from point A to point B and you need to deliver something to point C, your cost went from the cost of point A to point B to the frictional cost of instead of going to C, just going to B instead. And it actually it makes it act almost like a public utility or this sort of natural resource of where everybody's going. So if you look out your window and you see all the cars driving, imagine if they were taking stuff to people on trips they were already taking. Way more efficient any way you look at it than simply putting another truck on the road with something else in it. So we're working in the future on how to measure that. and What is that impact? It's something that's quite hard to do and to measure. But we're looking at it just because the whole on the way model, I mean, that's that's sort of in our DNA of where we came from is trying to take advantage of capacity that's already going in a direction, which by definition is going to be more sustainable than a net new truck on the road. Yeah, it's definitely a very fascinating space. I think, you know, a lot of brands were, were looking to sustainability as a way to just, you know, boost brand perception, maybe a little bit of shareholder value. Like it was a huge topic, I think, a few years ago, and then it kind of slowly started to trickle out. So it'll be interesting to see how the benefits of looking at sustainability practices, you know, finding a way to embed it in other strategies. So it's, you know, a part of the conversation, but not necessarily like in its own bucket. I don't know. I think I think there are a lot of ways, a lot of opportunities for, for brands to take a closer look at that. So I guess we'll see how that conversation shakes out as we start to look at the future, right? Because I think at this point, retailers have been trying to navigate the uncertainty, the volatility of this current situation. And as stores start to reopen, it's it's, it's more of a conversation around how can we scale or how can we better prepare? I think you made reference to this earlier, be better prepared for future instances, but also have a model that's consistent and, and scalable every day. So it, it'll definitely be an interesting conversation to uh, keep track of. Great. So I think my next question for you is around the bigger picture. So we talked a lot about the fulfillment experience itself, getting products to consumers faster in a sustainable way. But, you know, a lot of the problems that we've been reporting on is kind of the domino effect that started with some supply chain glitches and issues. Would love your take on this because you're so focused on the fulfillment side, but you know, you can't fulfill an order that doesn't get to the store. So it, again, it kind of creates that that chain effect that ultimately impacts the customer. So I mean, what what has your team seen in these times specifically that have maybe 
led to some opportunities for improvement or, or key areas that you think retailers may need to focus on moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you need to be prepared as brick and mortar retailers specifically to be able to bring your store to the customer when they can't come to you. I mean, that's one of the biggest lessons that's, that's coming. And as I said before, I mean, the stress and disruption that every retailer has felt around it, I mean, essentially is that lost revenue that's happening because people aren't in the stores or they don't have their supply chain set up where they can do delivery from store. So they've tried to call together a curbside thing, but if people are staying at home, they don't really want to get in their cars anyway. So you've seen it within the supply chains. Go to any store that you see and you know, before coronavirus was here, it was over in China. And there's still plenty of shelves in any given store that you can't find certain items and they're somewhat wiped out. And there's a point that it's beyond just sort of the pantry stocking that people have done or the hoarding. It's, you know, there was a shutdown over there and it's hard to get back over there. It's hard for the economy to shut down this long and supply chains basically just not break down. That's why the decisions going on right now are just so hard because you can't have the supply chains down for two or six months. You'll see food supply chains and other things that are way more important than a shirt that we want to get at our favorite brand store to get out there. I think what the brands are trying to figure out is this happens again. What tools do we have to get stuff to customers? And not just tools like Roadie where we can get things delivered almost anywhere in the country for you, same day, next day, whatever, but also like internally, like how are we going to accept those orders from customers? What technology do we need to have to be able to manage this that we may or may not have right now, or we may have, but it needs some work to get there. I think people are battening down the hatches and making sure that Omnichannel is, is on the top of the list. We've heard a number of retailers that the priorities of doing this were going to be next year, and they've been moved to third quarter of this year. We've heard a lot of that in phone calls. Very interesting. Yeah, we, we've been hearing a lot in our conversations around how the trends aren't necessarily different. It's the pace at which those trends have emerged and accelerated like that's been what has been tripping up so many retailers right in fact i think i read an article around how this situation covid is the great accelerator right for for retail so to that end i mean beyond the critical conversation around supply chain fulfillment making sure that the products can get in customers hands as quickly and safely as possible what other trends do you think are central to this acceleration conversation which capabilities are really rising to the top as part of that omni experience i think i think it is the optionality I mean, it's not just in the same day. I mean, it, you talk about optionality and it's it's like, do, do you subscribe to Netflix? Do I subscribe to Netflix? <laughs> no, like <laughs> basically anything that has a streaming capability, we're, we're there. So. <laughs> All right. So you remember when Netflix started and they had, they had the DVDs that came back mm -hmm. and forth mm -hmm. and a lot of people did that and they switched, switched to streaming and it didn't take off. I mean, people were not as interested in it at that point in time. And then they started adding some of the old shows like Cheers and Friends and got some newer movies on there. And then all of a sudden you created the binge watcher. Everybody wanted to Netflix and chill then. Everybody was coming onto the platform <laughs> and trying to be there. But what they did is with this content, they created optionality. That's something e-commerce retailers have known for a long time. They'll give it to you at ground and they'll give it to you in five or seven days or they'll give it to you overnight or they'll give it to you two days. 
what brick and mortar retailers or people with omni-channel retail strategies is needs to learn what Netflix and e-commerce providers have known for a long time, which is you've got to give that optionality. So if your customer wants it in a couple days, that might be the case. If they need it in a couple hours, that's fine. If they need an hour, figure it out. There might be small percentages of users that, that need these things, but you need to have the optionality because the same person that might need that one rare thing in one or two hours is going to buy the bulk of it on cheaper shipping options, but might buy a lot from you. But if they can't get it from your brand, they're going to find somewhere else to get it. So look at what optionality you have for your customers and figure out like how broad is the palette that you're going to offer to them and talk to them about it, see what they want. I mean, I have my own theories about, you know, certain industries. I mean, we're heavy, obviously, with tractor supply and Home Depot into do-it-yourself work and sort of farm. But I mean, there's things that you might need real quick. How often have you done a home improvement project and gone to Home Depot five times in a day? Like, you don't want to have to go back there for that thing. You certainly don't want to go there if your finger's stuck in a leaky pipe. Right. So, um, you know, picking the industries appropriately. I've never needed a shirt in two hours. Same day would have been fine if I've gotten a van or maybe a couple of days later. So, you know, but it's good to have that optionality. Yeah, I guess it speaks to the need for context in terms of creating customer experiences or customer journeys, right? Because there are obviously customer segments and then, you know, it's, oh, we need to go deeper. We need to get into customer or buyer personas. But even then, we're complex people, right? I mean, it depends, like you said, the day, the situation, the need in that moment. So I guess that the whole concept of optionality goes far beyond just that fulfillment experience. Of course, that that last mile is, you know, the the cherry on top, so to speak, because it's how quickly can I get it. But I guess this whole concept can apply to all areas of the customer experience, whether it be marketing, like you said, e-commerce experience, maybe even store service. I mean, there's probably a lot of layers to, to what that means for, for brands and retailers. So that, that's a great, great concept. Right. So with that, we're at the top of our time together. But, you know, looking at our whole conversation where we, we covered a lot of ground, thanks for bearing with me and going in all the directions I, I took you in today. We're in this time where we're still unsure of the long-standing impact of certain trends. You know, there's a lot of data coming out around consumer sentiment, how that sentiment trickles down into behaviors, what behaviors will have staying power and which may go back to what things may go back to the way they were. I mean, it's still kind of up in the air, but would love your take because you're having so many conversations with retailers. I mean, obviously you're a consumer yourself, what trends do you think will have staying power and what words of advice do you have for all of the executives listening right now that may be trying to figure out <laughs> where they need to focus their time and their efforts right now? Sure. So one, consumer habits are never going to be exactly the same, but the shift towards omnichannel and especially delivery is nothing new. I mean, Amazon laid out the groundwork for the, the e-commerce revolution and set these expectations for everybody across the board. And other retailers have, by and large, been playing catch up, especially when it comes to delivery in the last mile for big stuff and little stuff. We find that as consumers have been forced to figure out and experiment with home delivery for items that they need out of necessity, you know, we find that they're adjusting to it pretty fast. 
and even like older older demographics that may have never tried Instacart or never tried to you know get their groceries online, never gone on Walmart.com and ordered this their groceries to come to them. They're doing it now because maybe they're in an age group or they're immunocompromised or otherwise at risk and didn't need to get out. And they're adjusting to it super fast. You know, and if you think about it, it's not really a new idea. We used to have visits from the milkman, the ice man, the egg man, all in the old days, the stuff that used to show up on our doorsteps. So in a way, kind of what's old is new and home deliveries are returned to roots as much as something new and modern. The biggest takeaway and probably the most intuitive, so don't paint me with a Captain Obvious cape, is like once consumers have experienced how easy home delivery can be, they're more likely to continue using it. I just talked to somebody. I was like, why do I want to go to the store and spend the gasoline? And she goes, yeah, it's gross. I don't, I want to just stay home. Sounds like my kind of person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why not, you know, time is also optional. So why not make better use of it and stay home and toss a ball with your kids in the backyard instead or practice that instrument? You're doing? I mean, you can spend more time doing what you want to do when you have this as, a, as an option. And I think as far as businesses go, I think businesses are already realizing their major advantages to crowdsourcing. As I said before, in times like this, a distributed workforce is much more powerful. It comes with fewer points of failure than having a fixed asset, and which means that ultimately businesses are more resilient. And that resiliency is what a lot of people missed out on through this pandemic. So they all need to figure out how to get to their customers now, whether it's e-commerce, whether you're taking phone orders, whether it's, you know, smoke signals or some other method <laughs> you to figure out how to take, take orders from your uh, customers. And you need to solve for the challenges of the last mile. It's smart to lay the groundwork for delivery now because you never know what's going to wind up disrupting foot traffic in your brick and mortar location and what we've just gone through. They should need no more examples. Great. That was kind of points. a dour ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is just the reality of the situation, right? I mean, th this is going to be a very long, drawn-out recovery process. Some are pointing to up to two years at this point, just given the limitations of the stores, you know, how many people are allowed at a given point in time. Even if people did want to go to the stores, there are limitations still. So it's good to have a more robust infrastructure to not just support the business, but to support the customer. So I, I think it's super appropriate that the last mile is finally getting the attention it deserves. And one thing that might be helpful is we've got these guides that we give out to people, sort of how do you set up and what questions do you think about to set up same day delivery, whether you're a small business or you're a big retailer. And what we found is that absent roadie at all, like all the questions internally you need to be thinking about, regardless of how you implement delivery, we've sort of gathered together because we've seen it so much. So folks that need it are welcome to reach out to me. It's mg at roadie.com because we'll send you one of these and you can sort of, it's not even the answers. It's the questions you need to ask before you figure out the best way to proceed to get last mile delivery set up. Love that. Thank you so much for uh, opening up that dialogue with our listeners and giving them a chance to reach out to you. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me here. It was a good time. Yeah, this has been fantastic. And hopefully everyone listening, if you were for some reason uncertain about whether same day delivery was an option for you or if you were looking for ways to bolster that last mile experience, I think Mark provided a lot of fantastic insights. So Mark, again, thanks so much. And uh, thanks everyone out there for listening. Take care now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up. <laughs>